here at Stevens. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul City. And uh, we had a, actually really, before we get into to Bob and what we're going to be looking at this weekend, we had a pretty fun week for our church, and you may not even be aware of it. Uh, lots of times, Jeannie and I uh, have the opportunity to share the story of what God's doing here at Soul City Church. And lots of times, it's over a cup of coffee with folks. And, you know, they just want to catch up or hear about what God's doing. Or maybe they came to church like you, maybe for the first time. And so we go catch a cup of coffee, and we get to share uh, what God is doing at our church. And we're so uh, proud in the healthiest way, if we can say that, right, in the most appropriate way of what God is doing and what you're doing as we partner with God in the city. Well, this last Wednesday, Gene uh, and I got an invitation to share uh, what God is doing and learn what God is doing around the country over, uh, over a cup of coffee at a very unique location. Uh, this last week, Jeannie uh, and I were invited to the White House, which I've never been able to say before in my life, and I'm never going to stop saying uh, we were actually invited uh, to be a part of a forum on um, faith-based social innovation that's happening at the neighborhood level. And uh, so we didn't know what to expect. The first when we got the email, we were like, clearly this is a scam. There's somewhere a Nigerian prince as an uncle that's going to be mentioned. <laughs> but like when they already have your social security number and all that kind of stuff in the email, you know, okay, they might be legit. And so it was a huge honor for us to be able to go to the White House. We grabbed just a couple pictures while we could. Uh, uh, we were not only out front with all the tourists, but we actually got to go inside uh, to the West Wing. This is Jeannie, literally right outside the actual entrance to the West Wing, uh, which is really fun. Uh, that's a horrible picture of us uh, uh, under the shade of uh, that. But we are so privileged to be able to go and sit with uh, people of many different faith backgrounds that are doing the work that God has called us to do as a church. And I'm telling you, our church is about 20 months old. I, I was never more grateful for what God has done in my life and through this church and never more proud of you. And to be able to share about what we're learning through our partnership with Brown Elementary School just a couple blocks away and our commitment to this city and to this neighborhood and and to be able to make connections that will help further and extend what what God is doing here. But more than that, just to share uh, the joy of what we've been able to be a part of. I want to commend you. Uh, Mother Teresa says, and I think says it quite eloquently, that we don't all get to do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love. We may not all do great things in our life. We're going to hear from Bob about that this morning. We we may not all be able to do great, grand, world-changing things, but every single one of us can do small things with great love. And every time you serve and every time you stay committed to the work that God is doing here and you give, that is a small act with great love. And you never know where the story of that gets to reverberate and echo to, sometimes even all the way to the White House. So we're so proud to be your pastors and so grateful for the work that we get to do. And we're committed to growing in that, learning and learning and learning and learning as God teaches us and grows us and transforms our church into being a better neighbor in this city. And so it made absolute sense for us uh, to invite, and we were thrilled when he said yes, uh, to invite Bob Lupton to join us this weekend. Bob uh, gained his uh, PhD from the University of Georgia uh, in psychology, family psychology specifically, took that and began to work in the inner city of Atlanta, has been in the city of Atlanta for 40 years, in the inner city of Atlanta for the last 30 years, doing community development, gospel-based community development work in the inner city in some of the most overlooked and under-resourced neighborhoods in the city of Atlanta. We know a little bit about that in our city too, don't we? We have those neighborhoods all around us. And what Bob has been able to do and God has done through he and and many others that have partnered with him is um, to to create sort of a grassroots movement that is not only sustainable, but that is actually growing and thriving. Through their work, uh, they've started several businesses from within the community, employing people who 
were previously employed to start businesses, and those businesses are now not only sustainable but profitable, uh, have begun to create housing opportunities for hundreds of families who previously did not have quality housing. In fact, several subdivisions have been created by the work of what Bob and his team have done. Bob has written a couple books about that, and our church has been directly shaped by the work that God has done in his life. Most specifically, and I'll mention this at the end, is uh, recently, I should say, is toxic charity. I think every one of us has a desire to do good. We want to do something good in the world. We want to make our mark on the world. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves in the world. But if we don't understand what doing good really means, it's possible for us to actually do harm in our doing good. And as our team read through this together, we thought, boy, it would be a privilege to have Bob join us here this morning for our Voices series. So would you please, in a true Soul City fashion, give a warm Chicago welcome to Bob Lepton. I think, Jared, I I could listen to you go on and on and on. Yeah. About me. About you. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know what? I I could, too. I could. I mean, we are, uh, I mean it, Bob, when I say it, and you and I have been able to connect and talk. Just, there's a humility that you bring to the authority that you have based on the experiences that you've allowed God to do in and through you that uh, has been a huge gift to our church already. And now to have you here with us this weekend is, is such a huge privilege. I am, I am a pretty humble guy. You're, a, you're the most humble guy I know. That's right. You're the best at being humble. Uh, you should take pride in that. Um, the, uh, there's some of our folks who know who you are and attract what you're doing, but a, a lot of us may not. And so can you kind of give us the story of how you ended up doing what, what it is you're doing at FCS? I forgot to mention you're the head of FCS Urban Ministries. How that started, where, where all that began for you? Forty years ago, the uh, conflict of the day was Vietnam, and uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to be uh, chosen by Uncle Sam uh, to represent him in, uh, in that faraway country, uh, and uh, that exposed me to a, a lot of human need uh, that God used to develop a sense of calling in me, particularly to work with uh, troubled young men. When I came Uh, home and out of the military. I resigned my business uh, career and uh, found a way to uh, work with troubled young people from the juvenile court in Atlanta. Uh, Over time, it became apparent that if you're going to work effectively with troubled young young people, you had to be involved with uh, their families. Mm. And so that prompted me to go back to school and learn how to work with families. Over time, I realized that you can't work very effectively with struggling families unless you're involved in the environment that impacts on them every time they step out of the door. And so I became more involved in what was going on in the community, and and eventually it became apparent that if you're going to transform a community, it had to be from within. Uh, That meant for us as a family, uh, moving from our suburban home and, uh, and moving into the heart of, of uh, inner-city Atlanta, where most of the kids and the families lived that we were working with. That was the beginning of, uh, of a major transformation, hmm. not only in our ministry, but certainly in our, in our lives. And so that's what I've been at for the past 40 years. 40 years. Yeah, and we're going exp- to learn a little bit more about that in a second. But what I wanted to 
start with, and I've asked you about too, is you know, there, there seems to be in our current conversation a real uh, desire to do good. People want to do good. Uh, it's become popular, for lack of a better word, to sort of be cause-driven or, or be about something bigger than yourself. Uh, my brother says that kids don't start bands anymore, they start nonprofits. And uh, so it's, you know, that seems to be a part of our cultural conversation right now. And, and not only that, for-profits are, are looking and going, okay, how can we put a good face on what we're doing and have our product still sell, but maybe make a difference in the process? What do you make, Bob, of, of that desire to do good? And what's sort of the upside to that? And what might be the downside to that as well? Well, I see that as a very positive thing right. in our culture. Uh, we're, uh, we're really the most giving people uh, on the face of the earth. And, of course, the church has been in, in the forefront of that. Uh, some recent research uh, says that about 90% of our population is involved in one way or another, funding or, or otherwise, in, uh, in charitable work. Hmm. And so community service is big. You do it in the, from, from grade school. In Atlanta, you can't graduate from high school unless you do community service. Right. Businesses are very involved in that. Uh, our mission trip industry is huge. We send about 2 million short-term missionaries uh, to other lands every year at a cost of about $4 billion. Wow. We collect and distribute tons and tons of clothing and food. And so, so we're very, very engaged in the compassion industry. The sure. question is... Uh, what is the impact of this? Mm. Is poverty declining? Mm. Uh, nobody thinks that it is. As a mm. matter of fact, the gap between the rich and poor is growing. Yeah. Our involvement in missions uh, in uh, developing countries is producing the opposite effect. Mm. In Haiti, where we have poured uh, about $9.3 billion into that country mm. past 30 years, uh, the poverty level is 25% deeper now than wow. it was when we started. Wow. And so there is real concern about uh, our return on investment, yeah. our ROI. Yeah. Uh, for all of this good activity, is it having a transformative impact? Mm -hmm. And that is what has prompted me to write Toxic, Toxic Charity. Charity. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think when our team came across this book, we were already obviously familiar with your writing, with your work. Uh, it really... Um, was wonderfully disruptive to us and, and stirred things up in us. And, and one of the tensions that we really had to wrestle with personally and continue to do so as a church is, is what you talk about in this book and, and what you just alluded to in a second is the difference between betterment and development. And, and you, you kind of flesh that out in the book, but for those of us who haven't read the book, what, what is that idea, the difference between betterment and development? Where does that come from? What does that look like? Betterment is improving conditions. Somebody's hungry, you feed them. Right. Takes care of a hunger need. Development is the strengthening of capacity, strengthening muscle so that people can fend for themselves, can develop in their own right. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference between development and, and betterment. It's the difference between the old adage, uh, you feed a man a fish and he eats for a day, right. you teach him to fish and he feeds and he eats for a lifetime. Uh, it, it brings up the issue of what is a 
crisis need or what is a chronic need. Uh, a, crisis, a crisis situation is uh, when a hurricane hits Joplin or, right. or when a uh, cyclone uh, uh, or earthquake. A tsunami. Yeah, right, any of yeah those tsunami, yeah. Yeah. earthquake in Haiti. Yeah. Those are crisis situations, and they demand emergency response. You rush in to save lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, a chronic need is an ongoing poverty issue that isn't solved through an emergency response, it's solved through developing people. The difficulty is when we continue to use a crisis, an emergency response to folks that are in a chronic need situation. Harm is then done. Mm. For example, uh, New Orleans, when Katrina hit six, almost seven years ago now, Obviously, uh, that was a crisis yeah. situation. And many and people rallied together and, and gave, and many drove down and drove helped. Drove down, yep. trucks yep. of clothing, right. food, yes. Uh, the outpouring of compassion was, uh, was very remarkable. Uh, but that's seven years ago. Mm. We still have groups by the thousands mm. that are going into New Orleans with clothes and food to take care of the Katrina victims. Mm. That should have shifted into a development strategy five years ago. Yeah. But uh, as long as folks are in that the, a victim mentality, then we don't develop them. Mm. So when you use a, uh, a crisis intervention for a chronic need, you do harm. You mm. create unhealthy mm. dependency. dependency. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, so do you, okay. All right, now we're talking about some real stuff because you think about New Orleans, you think about even Joplin, you think about some of that. What, what would you have, you know, what would you suggest is a more holistic, even biblical approach after a crisis? Take New Orleans, for example. You said six, five, six years ago we should have begun a development strategy. What would the difference look like in that situation between the crisis response to needs and, and a need of, that it's chronic that you're responding to? Uh, well, folks need jobs. They don't need somebody to continue to bring them food and clothes. Yeah. And so the rebuilding of the economic system, the, the reigniting of businesses, uh, uh, the rearranging of or the rebuilding of housing. Homes, a lot of homes yeah. got destroyed. Yeah. And so a strategy to rebuild housing there, yeah. uh, which residents should be a part of so that they are learning while they are developing. Yeah. So it, it moves into a more systemic approach mm. uh, to rebuilding the systems of the culture. The, the going in uh, with our trucks load, truck loads of clothes and food these days is harmful. Hmm. It creates an unhealthy dependency. It erodes a work ethic. Hmm. Uh, it diminishes people's dignity. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's a harmful strategy. Yeah, yeah. And yet you think about so oftentimes when we do trips. They're well-intended. They have a good heart. We want to make a difference. We want to help. But lots of times it is that sort of response. Let's go and, and fix a problem. Let's go and build a thing or do a thing for these folks instead of maybe coming around saying, how can we help sort of get around behind and, and be a part of much slower. Yeah. It doesn't feel as emotionally satisfying after 10 days to know that you held some classes to help people get better jobs or whatever. Like, that doesn't yeah, feel that, nearly as good as painting a wall. Yeah, that, it feels much better to say we painted that wall yeah. than the next group comes in and paints it after you. And, you know, 
<laughs> you know, well, there was one church in Mexico that I know of that uh, was painted six different times by six groups over one summer. That's fantastic. Yeah, That's it was fantastic. really, really well yeah. painted. I'm just, it's, very, it's like three inches thicker now yeah. and just yeah. in paint alone. So there is, a, there is a huge, it starts with a good intention. I think that's... It is, it's absolutely. A, it's a, it's a good, the motivations the are right. Yeah, but the, it's the strategies. How do you go about developing? So there's lots of organizations that are attempting to do and are succeeding at doing this kind of work or at least parts of this kind of work. It obviously has a much deeper motivation for you as a follower of Christ. And, and for you, when you look at the difference between betterment, again, good, fine, it's a fine place to, to start or to feel it that is, way. It's an entry point. Right. And then to the, the deeper work of development, wh- what is sort of your spiritual, biblical framework for that? Because it's more than just you being a, a good person and making a difference in the world. You have a conviction that you said, a calling, if you will. Where was that? How you you that want to drag forms? God into this discussion. Well, we're in church. I figured we might as well talk about God. Yeah, yeah. I'll go with that. All right. Yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate that. Uh, you just don't read Scripture very long at all before you realize how much it has to say hmm. about the poor. Hmm. That God's heart is in the, on the side of the poor. And so it's... Uh, it's, uh, it's very biblical. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the whole uh, tithing system was a social network system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you gather in your first fruits and the, uh, uh, the fruit of your harvest, the grain, the oil, the grapes, uh, into the temple, temple storehouse, storehouse tithing, yep. it was called. Yep. And that was, uh, of course, the priests ate that. The ministers were always taken care of. Well, that's good. Uh, that's biblical. That's good to hear, uh, yeah. But it was a social safety net so that no one in the land would, would go hungry. Yeah. Uh, the gleaning commands that uh, instead of the farmers reaping out to the competitive edges of their field and then taking a, a bag of grain and giving it, giving it to the poor, their instructions were don't harvest clear to the edges. Uh, take, uh, leave, leave grapes on the vine so that those who are poor can participate in the, work. in the harvest. Yeah. They work as we all do for, hmm. for our food. And you, so do you understand like that's a biblical concept that maybe you've not heard of is tithing, which we've talked about a little bit. We did a little bit ago. The, the gleaning concept is really, I mean, that's you leave the corners of the field, the harvest, whatever it is, and there's a couple things that work because you could go to the competitive edge to the very end to get more. Be more efficient. Be more efficient. And, and, but God's command was for his people as they were forming as a people was to leave that space for those who were poor, oppressed, overlooked, so that they could participate in the work, not just Save get a the, handout at the end. The joy of the harvest. Yeah. Yes, participating in the harvest. In the New Testament, one of the oft-quoted scripture references, one of the things that Christ said was, uh, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, feed, clothe, visit the, the least of these, uh, the poor, inasmuch as you've done it unto them, you've done it unto me. Christ said, mm-hmm. uh, that, would Im- that would sort of imply giving food, giving clothing. But what Christ said was, you've done unto the least of these my brothers, my dear ones, uh, those that I know. It implies a personal relationship and a personal accountability mm-hmm. uh, that is a part mm-hmm. of our giving. So yeah. it's, uh, it isn't hard to build a good biblical yeah. case. Around. If you want to do if, that. If one were so inclined. If one were so, inclined. One were so inclined. And I think that's very important for us because it can, you know, there, there, there was, has even been um, among some 
churches and Christian groups a, a movement against this kind of work because it's seen as, you know, it, it's just you're, just, you're just doing good deeds, but you're not telling them about God, or you're just, you're creating social programs and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, the, it's very important to see that uh, this is written all throughout the scriptures from page one all the way on. And uh, it's the heart. It's of the God. heart of, yeah. I mean, when Jesus starts his Sermon on the Mount saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are in need. Um, there's something significant there. When Jesus started his ministry, his first sermon was, I come to bring good news to the poor. Yeah. Uh, So uh, it's It's, it's, it's it's hard to miss, miss. but it has greatly been missed. I think in in large ways it's been, or or it's been sort of pushed off to someone else to take care of or let that program do it, or I'll just give money to that group to do that good work. Again, good place to start, but it's an invitation that God has given all of us, I think, especially as we are entering into a, uh, I was going to say entering into a political season. It seems like it's always a political season. But uh, with the elections coming up, we're, we're going to hear God co-opted and coerced into just about every political stance under the sun. And while it may not be very clear if God is for that or as against that, as some people say, one thing that is clear through the scriptures that I know that you've based your life and work on is God is always with the poor. That's right. And God is always for the poor. And I think one of our biggest mistakes is that we come in thinking that we are there to bring God and good work to the poor, when reality is God is already there and he's inviting you to come experience him. That's a huge shift. It's a big shift that God is inviting you to see and experience and be transformed in the process of partnering with the poor. And We see God in a very different way there. I'd love for you to share, Bob, some of the stories. And when I say stories, I mean, you know, failures and successes of what you've learned through FCS over the years? Because I know it, it has been a learning and growing process for you, and I think we are learning and, and trying to grow as a, as a church in this area. So I'd love for you to just share some of how you've seen this played out in Atlanta. For the first 10 years of our work in the city, I commuted in from the suburbs, and we did a lot of programs, uh, feeding, clothing, uh, one of the programs that uh, generated an awful lot of excitement was at Christmas time. We had uh, an adopt a family program at Christmas time, and uh, we would uh, give the names of, of kids, their ages, sizes, uh, to adopting families uh, from the suburbs. They'd go shopping, and then on Christmas Eve, they would bring those gifts and deliver them uh, to, uh, to the homes of uh, recipient families in our community. Uh, which created a lot of excitement and goodwill. It was, I, I did a lot of that coordination. Uh, but when we moved into the city, uh, it was the first time I was, I was a neighbor uh, living in the neighborhood when the gift-bearing families arrived, and I was able to be in the homes of some of the recipients. Uh, and I saw something that I had not seen before. Uh, of course, the kids were as you can imagine, very excited, jumping up and down. Uh, The moms were gracious, uh, a little reserved, perhaps a little embarrassed. But if there was a uh, a dad in the household, he just disappeared. He just was out the back door. And it dawned on me what was happening was that these parents in their own homes, were being exposed for their inability to provide. Mm. 
And the moms would endure that indignity for the sake of the children. But it was more than dads could handle, and they were just slipping away. Uh, and and it, it was as though their impotence was being exposed mm. in front of their own families, their wives and children. Mm. And I realized there is, there is a price being paid mm. by the recipients of this kind of charity. Mm. And it really prompted me to say, we've got to find a, a better way mm. of doing our giving. So the following Christmas, when folks called in for their adopted family, I asked him to give uh, an extra gift. Sure, what's that? I said, would you give the gift of dignity to the dads? Mm -hmm. And here's how you do it. Uh, go shopping, uh, buy your gifts, but don't wrap them. Bring them to a little store that we're going to set up right across from the church, uh, and we'll invite parents to come in. We'll put a small price on those. Uh, and we'll invite parents to come in and go shopping. Now, everybody loves to find a bargain. Uh, and if they don't have enough money uh, to buy, then we're creating some cash flow here so that we can hire them, mm -hmm. so that everybody will have money and can buy for their kids. Mm -hmm. So on Christmas morning, parents in our community have the same joy that most parents in, in our society have mm -hmm. of seeing their children open the gifts that they have purchased and earned through the efforts of their own hands. And there will be dignity in the process of exchange. Mm. The, the extra gift that I was asking for, uh, I said to the givers, you know that joy that you get when you see those kids get excited about the gifts that you've brought? That joy? That's what I want you to give to the dads. Mm. So that on Christmas morning, they have that mm. joy. Mm. Well, that's a quantum leap going yeah, from giving toys to selling them. Yeah. But when we explained that money would be used to hire unemployed parents in the community and train them in retail merchandising and moving, move them on out into the economic mainstream, that Christmas gift will keep giving all year long. Mm. And what what kids need more than gifts, really, are effective parents. Mm -hmm. And so what we discovered was that uh, folks would a whole lot rather work to earn, to purchase for their kids, than they would stand in the free toy lines with, with their proof of poverty. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody loves to find a bargain. It's universal. True. It's true. But nobody likes to be somebody's charity case. Mm. Yeah, that's a huge... Huge learning. I think if you uh, have been around Soul City for this last year or so, that might sound a little familiar. Uh, one of the things, Bob, we looked at, at your failures and said, what can we learn from them? And <laughs> you know, you're a great test case for us. And so, but without, without you really knowing it, Bob, we, we knew what you were doing at FCS. And, and, we, and when we realized that God had opened the door of partnership with us at Brown Elementary School, a fantastic school, we Thank God for Principal Sadler and, and the leadership at that school. We thought, how can we partner with them? And so, so this may sound familiar, but one of the, the ways that we've got has allowed us to partner is to do a Christmas store here at Soul City Church. Get it here. Yeah, here in the church. And so many of you have given towards that. And so we were able to partner with uh, local businesses, which is really great. We have some really great businesses here in the West Loop. And so Threadless and 37 Signals. And then uh, beyond that, Converse and all kinds of different organizations have partnered to provide for the Christmas store, but every item is sold. 
and the parents are able to come and bring their kids, and the kids, we have programs for them, so they don't actually get to see what's being purchased for them, and, and uh, it, it, a lot of what God has done throughout is extend our relationship and vision for what our, our church can be in, that, in our neighborhood, how we can better partner uh, with the families of Brown. And we honestly, I want to, I mean, thank you. Obviously, this is not just your idea. Uh, many others have developed it, but I mean, it, it, is, it has helped us at least start a, a couple steps further down the road with that. And we are um, loving to see where God is, is leading us it's, with it's, that. It's a very, very important step. Yeah. It seems so kind and compassionate to give those gifts right. until you see what happens on the receiving end of them. Yeah. Uh, to engage in legitimate exchange, yeah. uh, boy, that's just, that's, just very that's the essence of economy, yeah. to bring something to the bargaining table yeah. and exchange it and go away yeah. both winners. Yeah. And I say, I say with you know, confession and, and honesty that I've led and been a part of many adopt-a-family things You're throughout the years. Yeah, and, and being in the homes and seeing the exact same thing, just going, wow, this, this feels really great. We got a great picture out of this, but this doesn't feel complete. This doesn't feel right, or, or at least it, it feels like there's more. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's a deeper way to, to partner. And I, I would love for you to speak in for a second, Bob, about what, what is it that a church, maybe only a church, can uniquely do to partner with those who are poor or oppressed or under-resourced or overlooked in our community? What can this church, a church, uniquely do in the neighborhood? Uh, the, the church, of course, are the people, yeah. not the building. Yeah. Uh, certainly the building is a, is a great asset. You yeah. can do a store and all yeah. kinds of wonderful things. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's the folks that are sitting in the chairs... Uh, that uh, can really have the impact. Mm. Uh, part of that is participating in uh, church-organized activities, like your uh, work in uh, your community school mm -hmm. here. Very, very important work. Uh, but uh, we are people of the system. Mm. Uh, we are talented, educated, connected, and God has positioned us with access to all of the systems of the city that impact, that are certainly for our benefit, but impact the lives of the poor. Mm. And to have a redemptive impact on those systems mm. is a part of a redemptive mission in this world, a mm. part of our, quote, evangelism, the good news. Right. And so... Uh, Part of our challenge is to, is to do justice. Mm. Certainly love mercy, but to do justice. And that is give, give equal access to the benefits of the system mm. to our neighbors who are somewhat excluded from that. Education is one of those systems. And uh, it works well for us. Mm. Uh, it doesn't work so well for our lower-income neighbors. And so to have a corrective influence on a system that it is not doing justice for the poor, mm -hmm. to have a corrective influence, we're positioned mm -hmm. to be able to do that, mm -hmm. to influence policies, to influence partnerships, uh, to, be, to have access to that system where we can have a redemptive impact. Mm -hmm. The economy, jobs. Uh, we work for companies that from time to time hire people. 
Hopefully they'll be doing more of that in the days ahead. But the people who do not have access to that system, uh, the poor, the parents of those in the elementary school, uh, do not have the contacts or the access to good employment. We do. And so one of the things that we can think about is, is when our company is, uh, is planning to hire some more employees, to let that mom or that dad who's, whose kid we are tutoring in the elementary school, let them know about the job opportunities, begin to make the system work fairly and equitably for those who have been marginalized. We're positioned in a very strategic kingdom place mm-hmm. as people of the systems, mm-hmm. uh, people of, of, uh, of all of the systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see that as a part of our mission yeah. is vitally important. Yeah. Well, I, I would love for you to share the story of, of what you all learned through your church as you said, you know, as a church, we want to be a, a agency of good news in the community. And so uh, I would love if you'd share the story about how you began by by the, bad news, well, you want a kind of another... I just, yeah, to make us feel better, share another failure yeah. of yours if you would. Yeah, I, uh, but but I, I love can, that story can I, because... Can I trust these people? They're good people, Bob. I think they're good people. I think they can be trusted. Yeah. I, but what I love about the story is it, it illustrates what you just talked about, that, that the church kind of started down this path and it was individuals within the church that said, hey, wait a second, what if we? So do you mind sharing that story? Yeah, uh, that's one of the first things we did when we opened up our church in the city uh, was uh, set up a clothes closet. You know, we don't wear out our clothes. And so it's easy to gather them in. And so we, uh, we invited the community in. These are the free gifts of God's people. Take what you need. And it was a wonderful spirit until we actually opened the doors. Mm-hmm. And then folks came rushing in and started grabbing and growling and took as many clothes as they could balance on their grocery, or their sacks on their shoulders. And then I'd find those clothes scattered around the, outside the, the church. Mm. That wasn't good stewardship. Mm. So we set up rules, uh, number of garments per visit, number of visits you can have a month. And uh, that was like saying, let the games begin. Mm. Can I get some garments for my kids that are in school? Can I get some garments for my sick uncle? You see where that's going. Well, in no time, we were behaving like temple police, mm. guarding the resources mm. of the kingdom against the very folks that we were there to serve among. Wow. And so I was sharing this dilemma with a, a, a men's uh, Sunday school group, and they said, well, there's a simple answer to that. It's called the market. Right. Put a fair rate of exchange on a desired commodity. It cuts all that out. Mm. And uh, so I said, could you help us set that up? And those guys uh, took that on as a missions project, and they, they did what they do in their sleep. Anyhow, they mm. did, uh, you know, traffic flow patterns, real estate research, got to find the right location, shop the competition. Right. Got to bring, yeah, this, right. bring this right that's in right. under that's Salvation right. Army that's thrift right. store. Yep. And they say, if we, if we do it <laughs> that's right. That's the church at its best. Let's I, cut out I the competition. Love I love that's it. That's right. That's right. And they said, if we do it right, we can not only, uh, not only turn a profit, we can hire folks from the community, train them in retail merchandising, move them out into the economic mainstream. Said it takes about two years for a business startup like this. Mm. They were right. Mm. And 18 months later, it moved into the black and mm. has never looked back. It's become a bright spot in the community mm. that not only provides quality, affordable clothing 
to our neighbors, but creates job training and opportunities yeah. for those who are unemployed. It's a redemptive use of what we have called a secular gift. Mm. I think that under mm. the lordship of Christ, mm. there isn't such a thing as a secular gift. I agree. Every marketplace gift is a spiritual gift. Yeah. And has redemptive potential. That's right. And so I think that, that story, which I love to hear, it, that it started with a, a good idea from the church, but got better when people from the church said, wait a second, we can take the natural and spiritual gifts that God has given us, and we can extend this work much further. It's the same thing that's happened with the, how you guys have provided housing in Atlanta. Exactly I mean, right. you, it's not that, you know, well, we could open up a shelter with it. That's fine. Shelters are, are, are great. Right. A shelter is a crisis response. That's right. And so how do we approach the chronic need of homelessness or low, low quality housing or bad quality housing? So what you've had is folks from your community and from your church and even from outside the church come in and say, well, we do this all day. We build houses and subdivisions. We're housing developers. (laughs) Right. So how can we take what we thought was just our job and see the redemptive potential and be a part of the development process? That's huge. Yep. And, And that marketplace ability... Coupled with a, a kingdom vision yeah. is transformative. Yeah. So not only are we developing nice, uh, well-designed housing, we're creating within that affordability yeah. so that low-income uh, families yeah. can enjoy the benefits. Yeah. I think there's a, we could have a whole conversation about just that, uh, the city process of gentrification, how we participate in it, how we, you know, what, what we don't see when we, you know, can even try and do good by moving into a neighborhood and renovating a house. We can build it so nice that no one else can afford to move into it after us. Right. And there's, it gets sort of deeper and deeper and deeper, but the beauty is God is with us every step of the way. Amen. And, and it continues, the truth continues to open yeah. uh, as we walk in that light. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would love, I mean, Bob, if you could, you have a room full of folks here and folks watching online that would, would love to hear from you. If you could say one thing from your learning, from your, as you study God's word and God is transforming and changing and growing your heart, what would you say to all of us here who have that desire to do good, but now I think maybe have a stirring within us to make sure that our, we're doing the best good, the right good, uh, a God-honoring good, what would you say? I say that we, uh, we need to ask the right questions, mm. ask the questions about actual outcomes rather than activity, mm. uh, be as diligent in our work for the kingdom as we are in our business world, mm. consider our ROI, our mm. return on investment. Is it a good kingdom investment? Mm. We have those capacities to, uh, to impact our society in ways that... Uh, the poor cannot do, the voiceless cannot do on their own. Mm. We have the voice, the capacity, the, the access to the systems that can be transformative. Mm. There is a scripture that mm-hmm. I hope will go up on the board it will in a minute. Uh, about what God desires of us mm. to, to love mercy. Mm-hmm. And we certainly want to continue during, doing those high-touch mercy ministries. But the other part of that is to do justice. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where we engage our minds. Mercy is engaging our hearts. Mm -hmm. Doing justice engages our minds to bring about transformative impact Mm -hmm. in the systems that control people's lives. That's doing justice. Mm -hmm. 
And every one of us can do that. Every one of us. You don't have to start a nonprofit. You don't have to go around the world. You can start right here, right now, today, and taking steps towards God in that. Good. Thank you, Bob, for your example. Yes, thank sir. you for being with us. Can we thank Bob for being yeah. with us? Thank you. You know, I think what I think was so encouraging and at the same time challenging is that this is for every one of us. This is for every one of us. And so hopefully right now your heart has been stirred. My sense is your heart has been stirred to go, okay, what might God be inviting me into? How might I use the connections I have to the system or the resources I have from my business or from my life to be a part of this kind of work. It's an invitation to every one of us. And just as we can create systems of dependency uh, sort of in those lower resource, under-resourced communities, we can build systems of dependency up on the church or on organizations like Bob's where we say, well, I'll just, I'll let them do it. <laughs> or I'll just give money to them so they can do it. Well, you want their money. Okay, Bob does want your money. I'm sorry, let me be clear. Bob wants your money. But more than that, what we want to do as a church is empower you and come around and beside behind you and say, how can we help you unleash the kingdom potential that is in with every one of us? No matter where you find yourself, no matter what you think your network is strong or poor, your assets or resources are high or low, whatever, it doesn't matter. God has you where he has you right now. And what might he be inviting you to do to join with him in the development the transformation of the neighborhoods that God has around us. Bob mentioned this verse from Micah 6.8. It's a central verse to our church, and I want to read it to you from the message translation of the Bible. And we'll put it up on the screen so you can follow along. I want you to consider your life and where God has you and what he might be stirring up in you as we read from and even respond to this verse. Uh, the writer in, in this section of Micah is... is reflecting on, does God want us to worship him harder? Does God want us to sing louder? Does God want us to give more to him? And, and this is the response from Micah 6.8. He's already made it plain. God has already made it plain on how we live and what we should do. God's made it plain of what he's looking for in men and women, every single one of us. And it's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. You just think about that for a second. Do, not just talk, not just let Bob do, not just think about, but do, do, actually do. You can actually do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Last week, Leroy did such a great job leading us through who is our neighbor. What does it mean to be a good neighbor? You can do what is fair and just to your neighbor, in your neighborhood, and be compassionate and loyal in your love. Loyal meaning that you don't leave. You stay with even when it's hard and it takes longer and there's not as big of an emotional response. You are loyal. We are loyal to those that God has around us and is inviting us to love, to know, and to serve. And then I love this. I love how the message says it. And don't take yourself too seriously. Don't get all caught up in the, are we doing this right or does people need to know? Don't, don't worry about whether it makes it to the White House or not, right? Don't take yourself too seriously. And that was just such a joy for Gene and I this last week. Just go, what are we even doing here? But I want to take God seriously in his heart for the poor. That's what I want to take seriously. 
I'm not going to get so caught up in all the systems and all that kind of stuff of how to structure and how to do this. And I don't want to take too seriously, but I definitely want to take seriously God's heart, which is so clear for the poor. And I want to take seriously his invitation to me to be a part of that. And what if, what if this weekend God is awakening in you something that has been dormant for years that you may not have even been aware of? What if God is awakening in you a love for this city that's deeper than just how it meets your own needs? What if God is awakening in you a new way of partnering with him in this city? You don't have to live in the city to love the city. You may live outside the city and you can still join in and partner. And God may be inviting you even deeper and deeper. What do you think he's awakening within you? What I'd love for us to do is to ask him together. So would you stand with me and we're going to pray that those words would be true of our lives. And as we do, we're going to sing and respond to God as we do every week. But we don't want our song to be our only response. We want our lives to be our response to God. So will you join me as we pray together? And maybe it helps you if you would, just open your hands up a little bit. Say, God, I want to be open to what you're doing. And take a posture with your eyes closed or open, but your hands kind of open to God saying, I want to be open to what you're awakening in me. Let's pray together right now. God, I do. I, I don't want to speak a word past where I'm willing to live and to go myself. And I thank you, God, for how you've awakened within Jeannie and I and our family uh, new truth and learning and understanding and experiences with and in and around the poor. And God, I thank you that you made it, Jesus, you made it so clear that we are blessed, those of us who consider ourselves and see ourselves as poor in spirit, that there is a, we have a neediness and a dependency, and it's not on systems and structures, it's on you, God. And so we claim that right now, and we pray from that place, our hearts being open to you, you would awaken within us new dreams and visions, and even directions for our lives. God, I pray that we would not walk out of this place today and just go on about our week and walk past the poor and drive around neighborhoods that we're afraid to go to. But God, we would be open to what you're awakening within us and what you're stirring within us. And God, I pray that our church would know what it means to, to act justly, to do the right thing for and with our neighbors, to love faithfully and loyally those who you've placed around us, to be a part of what you're doing in the redemption and transformation of this city. Thank you, God, for how you've stirred our hearts. Now, God, we want to respond to you, not just with song, but with our lives. That is our hope, our desire, and our prayer this morning. In your gracious and compassionate name, amen.